Graduate's Thrival Guide, where we cover all of the things that graduate school didn't teach you. Welcome to the Therapist Thrival Guide. My name is Miranda Barker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I am here with my co-host, Lucas Bellini, LMFT. And I report to our chief medical officer, so I will be on my best behavior today. Because he is in this room, along with the senior director of Intero? Yep. Perfect. So we are joined by Kyle Ross again. He was here a couple episodes ago talking about navigating tragedies. And then we have a brand new guest here, Dr. Oh my gosh, I just like blanked on your name. That is so funny. <laughs> Dr. G. <laughs> yeah, he's Dr. G. I yeah, got some, some stage G. fright right there. Whew. Yeah. Wow, we, the power. Jeez. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We are continuing our series on innovations in therapy today, and we are talking about psychedelic therapy. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your roles, jobs at LA Mental Health? Um, name is Kyle Ross. Um, been with Ellie almost since the beginning, and um, currently I am the senior director of Intero Psychedelic Therapy. Um, I have had uh, almost a lifelong fascination with psychedelics on a, a personal level, and over the last five years, that's um, been the primary focus of my work. Um, so right now I get to support, uh, I think we have 12 or 13 clinicians um, currently doing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy as kind of the only legal psychedelic right now, but are paving the way so that um, when MDMA becomes available, hopefully later this year or early next year, um, we're well established to begin that. Um, and I think there's a lot of really neat things happening with psilocybin. Um, so just making sure that we're in a good space so that when new medicines become available, we're ready to utilize them right away. Awesome. I'm so excited to jump more into all of these different psychedelics. Dr. G, do you want to yeah. introduce yourself? Yeah. Justin Gerstner, so psychiatrist, um, chief medical officer at Ellie, And, you know, probably the funnest thing of the kind of work that I do is all these kind of programs, really, right? And so over the last six months, really um, partnering with Intero to ensure kind of clinical excellence and best practice and doing all the doing all the things, psychedelic work, and it's just been great, and the path forward is exciting, and we're exci I'm excited to be here, so, yeah. Awesome. So, let's just start at the basics. What is psychedelic therapy, and why is it helpful? Um, I think psychedelic therapy is, I think we all kind of have a little bit of a baseline of what psychotherapy is. Um, there's a lot of different modalities and therapies that each clinician kind of finds their place and how they utilize those effectively and taking psychedelics into that process. Um, at Intero, we look at the utilization of psychedelics as a catalyst. So um, it's very similar to what you would talk about in traditional psychotherapy, but you're utilizing psychedelics to go into kind of a non-ordinary state of consciousness. Um, kind of meaning that you can be in a different brain space and look at problems, issues, whatever kind of brought you to therapy and look at it from a different vantage point. Um, and just allowing that to be a different way to deal or to find ways to deal with a problem. So are you typically taking the psychedelic through every therapy session or? No. Um, we use a four-stage model, which is what places like MAPS, um, John Hopkins, a lot of the research facilities as they've uh, done research on psychedelics, it's um, the four stages are um, assessment, preparation, medicine session, and integration. Um, and it's not quite as linear as that sounds, but you follow those kind of four stages. And that third one is actually utilizing the psychedelic itself. And so often um, a lot of the clients that we get to work with are doing, I would say two to three medicine sessions over the course of four to six months. Um, and often we kind of retain um, relationships with clients where after they kind of go through that first initial phase and feel like they've kind of gotten what they want out of it there, um, they might kind of go back out into the world and then reach out to us when, you know, maybe something big or uh, unfortunately, something kind of tragic happens in their life that kind of reignites whatever that is, and then they come back and kind of 
more speedily go through that same process again. So do the effects kind of, or like the improvements of the psychedelic session kind of fade and that's why some people do it again? Or is it just that they can kind of build on it or something, or like use it for different diagnoses or problems? That's a really good question. And there's a very probably convoluted way of answering that. Um, I think uh, at times traditional psychotherapy, like, you know, when we give assessments with like a PHQ or a GAT or something, we're looking at very specific symptoms that we're trying to eliminate to improve quality of life. Um, And when you bring psychedelics into that mix, um, it gets even more abstract than that at times. So um, yes, we are looking for symptom reduction so that people are leading better lives and not feeling as miserable or suffering the way that they did when they came in. Um, Often I think people return to us after a little bit of resolution to whatever that problem was because they may want to look at it from a deeper vantage point Mm -hmm. or they've integrated some of the knowledge that they got out of a medicine session and they're looking to explore it deeper or further um, or some other area of their life kind of crops up and they want to use psychedelics to look at that part from a different vantage point. Um, But I I would say that there's a lot of different reasons, Mm. but we don't, I would say that we look at symptom reduction as a secondary gain. Mm. It's a pleasant side piece where what we're really looking for is a deeper, more meaningful relationship with yourself and your loved ones. This is a really helpful distinction. I mean, I know that psychedelic therapy and TMS are 100% so different. But with TMS, we just had Dr. Jasberg on the podcast two weeks ago. And she was talking about how oftentimes people will come back um, to because some of the effects might fade over time. And so that's that's part of why I was asking that, because I was curious if that was similar in that way. I certainly think that that is very true for a lot of clients. Um, I think when we talk about psychedelics, um, there really is almost a philosophic view that we look at the psychedelic as a catalyst for change. Mm -hmm. And so when we're kind of talking through that or kind of working through that with people, um, the goal is to use psychotherapy and what we call integration to really solidify the gains and you know, as humans or normal therapy too, some of those gains may not stay as strongly Mm -hmm. as they would like. So I think that certainly can be a very true statement. Um, I think most of the people that return though are really looking at it as something else came up and they had found psychedelics to be very helpful. And so they kind of want to go through that process again and see what they can gain from a different vantage point. Okay. You know, what you're alluding to here too is, you know, with... You know, with an emerging field, with um, something that's kind of newer, it's normal to have this kind of broad spectrum of things, right? But where, you know, even stepping back, psychedelic therapy in general, and like where we are, at, where we are with Intero, you know, people are, the field is huge, right? So like, even if you just, you know, there's kind of like one aspect of maybe these compounds or, you know, psilocybin or LSD or ketamine or MDMA, there's like a, the medical aspect of like the compound or like what's happening and the chemicals and all that. And then there's like, you know, the, maybe the opposite spectrum of that is like people's interaction with them recreationally, mm-hmm. right? And where we're, you know, trying to be is, you know, kind of meshing all of that into like the best practice, which is this process which they've used, you know, in research in different areas. What we're really keyed in on is this really combination of using using the chemical and the medicine and the effects to get an experience, pairing that with the best therapy to really generate change, you know, at a deeper level than is ever going to be captured on a PHQ mm-hmm. or whatever else, right? So, um, you know, and it's it, everybody's experience with these compounds even in that setting is different, but it, it, everybody's where they come to be at this place is always different too, right? So, so and that's a, can I just, yeah. and that's like a, important distinction of Intero and how you practice at Intero because ketamine infusion clinics are pretty popular. Like a lot of people will go to a ketamine infusion clinic. Uh, They tend to have more accessibility to being able to use their insurance at an infusion clinic. But an infusion clinic is essentially what it sounds like. Someone goes and sits in a room by themselves 
they get infused with ketamine, you know, depending on the dose, that's how long they sit in that room for, and then they leave. Mm-hmm. And so there's no integrative component, there's no guided therapeutic component to it. Whereas at Intero, it's a much more thorough hands-on process that's intentional. It's not just about somebody taking ketamine, it's about the experience that you co-create with them as they experience the ketamine. Really well said. It's, I think that there are, we've gotten a lot of clients that had started their journey going to infusion clinics. And I think that they did get some benefit from the substance of ketamine, but I think often are, often have been left wanting more to use, uh, to utilize it in a different way, go a little bit deeper Mm -hmm. and have a therapist kind of. I, th- I really like the word co-create because they're trying to get to a, a place, a more meaningful life and kind of going to a room for 45 minutes to an hour and a half. And, you know, at times watching TV or something, taking ketamine hasn't gotten them there to that place. And so I think the that kind of the four stage process that can be several months long, mm-hmm. having a really authentic good connection with the therapist themselves lets them feel very free in a medicine session to really fully explore where they're wanting to be. You have that trust with the person, so you've built that relationship too. Mm-hmm. So who would be a good fit for psychedelic therapy? Like what diagnoses are, um, are is this approved for? Well, I mean, actually to interject, you bring up that word, which is probably a good thing since I'm here just to say, you know, that, you know, so we primarily at Intero right now use ketamine, and that's the only approved medicine in the psychedelic realm, but it's not approved for anything that we're talking about, or any of the other medicines that aren't approved. This will all be off-label use. Yes, um, off-label, so, okay. So technical, technically speaking, right? Yeah. So ketamine, the medicine that we use, is approved as an anesthetic, but isn't FDA approved, right? And so what, is, what does that mean? And that means that, you know, somebody at some point did the research and went through the arduous process with the FDA to get an approval, which is, you know, a staged process of research that then the FDA kind of gives its stamp to say, okay, used for this diagnosis in this way, we can say that it's got a safety profile that we understand and that it it can be used for that. Now, medications are used off-label all the time for Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. Some of that is which we don't know enough, and some of that is just it's really hard to go through that entire process especially in this specific case and with a lot of the compounds that are uh, we're talking about besides ketamine. I mean, ketamine is generic and cheap. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, the, the just the cost of this process is prohibitive for somebody to say, I'm going to go through this multi-million dollar process to get FDA approval for something I'll never have financial gain from, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just important to say that, you know, approval is a very specific term, right? Sure. Commonly used, evidence-supported, that's a totally different thing. So I'll reframe, <laughs> I'll rephrase. So um, like what would this, what diagnoses would this be commonly used for then? So and the way that we frame that is, you know, the, the evidence is best to support some spectrum of depression, anxiety, or PTSD that the, inf- the, the effects and profile and benefits are clearest in those realms. And so that's how we try to frame things. And clients experiencing symptoms in those realms seem to, we know the most about it and can offer the most benefit. And what benefits are people, like is there research behind this that says like, oh yeah, this is, people saw this amount of reduction in their symptoms or, I don't know if you guys would know any of any of that research or anything that behind it. I don't think right now I could quote the research, <laughs> but the vast majority, uh, when that research was conducted, it was conducted for treatment-resistant depression, and there was significant benefits that people found, and that was actually primarily done um, under the infusion model, not under the ketamine-assisted oh, psychotherapy model. Hmm. There's very little research done on ketamine-assisted psychotherapy that we've been talking about today. Mm-hmm. Um, the vast majority of research on ketamine from a mental health perspective is was based on the infusion model itself. So tell me about your experience with this then. Like, are you seeing people like have life-changing results, have a really good um, experience with these medication sessions? Like, I wanna hear more about these experiences. 
Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I think is really important to bring up today is with psychedelics making a giant renaissance across the U.S., I think that there's no shortage of documentaries, um, people talking about just psychedelics in general. And uh, one of the things that I, I caution my clients, and I know a lot of our staff do too, is I think when there's something new and exciting, sometimes we can over extol the virtues of it. Um, and we can look at psychedelics as a magic bullet or like a cure-all for everything. And I think that there, while I very firmly believe that psychedelics are going to be a very powerful thing in the field of mental health and as new medications become available, we'll know more and more and people will have more and more healing from that. But I think it's also important to have some level of caution that it is not a magic bullet. It doesn't take place of doing the work. It doesn't take place of psychotherapy. It, you know, lifestyle changes, all of those things are still incredibly important. I think that's one of the things that while we're working with clients as they come on during their kind of preparation phase um, is to really help them understand that this is not a magic cure. Mm-hmm. While, um, and I think Dr. G can speak to this a little bit better, but like research really shows with ketamine specifically, the two to four weeks following a medicine session is probably the most dramatic Mm -hmm. reduction in symptoms. And then that's where the psychotherapy comes in to really take that time that you're in a good mindset, symptoms are lower, Mm -hmm. to really create a healthy balance in life, routines and, and things that will help extend beyond what the actual medication is doing to the body. Yeah, no, and I would I would agree this is a fine line that we walk all the time with clients um, in in that, you know, just the way that our mind works. There's there's not it's not structured in the way that we can approach it now with chemicals. There's no magic bullet, right? Or even with therapy. I mean, just think about how complex our brain is and how it generates what I'm seeing looking at you right now, right? At the same time, like this is new and it is exciting and it is approaching things in a completely different way and a tool in our toolbox that is way different than anything else that we have and an experience um, that we haven't really approached with most people. Um, so there, there is a ton of opportunity there, right? And it is exciting and we should be excited about it. Um, and it, you know, commonly clients are like, right out of the set like that's the best experience that mm-hmm. I've ever had in my life like hear that all the time you know um, so it's it's very powerful uh, but you know there's no magic bullet and but if we can put it best together like it's really good at mm-hmm. helping people make a change feeling better coming at their life in a different direction mm-hmm. finding acceptance all kinds of things I think an interesting data point that GL did derive, I don't remember what the exact number is, but the percentage of your clients who come to Intero that had never had a psychedelic experience before. I've always, like, in disclaimer, I've never ran numbers on it, but I think from like an anecdotal perspective, I would be very comfortable saying it's roughly half. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so that's been, I've referred a good handful of clients to Intero um, and kind of continued my work with them as they went through their integrative work uh, at the clinic and none of them had ever had a psychedelic experience before but I think you know like it was always an interesting experience as I would pitch this because well they don't see it coming you know that I'm about to suggest you do a psychedelic therapy experience Um, especially the demographic I work with is like higher income like high performing career professionals that again, had never done psychedelics before. Um, But when I start to get into the research on it, start to explain what the process is, it's like they very quickly almost like get excited that I'm giving them permission to go Hmm. have a psychedelic experience. uh, And they're convinced by just speaking to it theoretically and also going over the research that is out there. And like it, I loved what it did for my work with them. You know, because I'm a insight-based, like, meaning-focused, uh, emotionally experiential therapist. And so my goal with clients is to always try to cultivate a different experience. You know, that when people are stuck, whether it's, you know, kind of prolonged depression, anxiety, they're just in an unsatisfied state over time, um, it's hard for them to shake out of it. And so when they can have a new experience, 
even no matter how small or minor it is, like it starts to open up a part of mm-hmm. the part of their brain where they can start imagining more possibilities again. You know, that I could experience this world in a way that's different than what I've kind of fallen into becoming accustomed to. And it's difficult to get out of those traps on our own. And why it's difficult is because you don't know what you're pursuing. It's like you've been stuck in it for so long that you don't even have a sense of what internal sensations or thoughts you should you could be having or could be pursuing. But then when they have this, their first experience at Intero, it does all of that for them immediately. It's like they physically feel something they've never felt before. It, it alters their state of consciousness in a way where they start to experience their own relationship to their thoughts and feelings uh, in a brand new way. And so I would say like it's less about the specifics of the feelings they have there and more about the fact that they're just having a new experience mm. that's different. And so it expedited my work with them significantly from that point forward. It sounds like it kind of gives them hope then too. Yeah. I can feel better because mm-hmm. I just felt better. Mm-hmm. And the pro- you're, you're highlighting exactly the process itself is helpful, I think. Um, and, you know, this is like even after clients have gone through preparation, which is a big part of preparation, right? But like coming to my the medical evaluation and then the med session like beforehand, it's just like, what is this going to be like? What is this going to be like? And like it's nice on our aspect is we can't tell you. Like, and so like we have a firm barrier because everybody's, every, this experience is gonna be different for everybody. And so we don't, we can't get pulled into telling you or being prescriptive and so then they have to be okay with like finding that in themselves mm-hmm. and being okay with what comes to them and like just that process of like having to like generate that new experience, be open to a new experience is like very therapeutic. Um, do, if so I know that, I know you just said, I can't really tell you when it's like to go through this, but do you actually feel high during that? Like, do you get high during the the session? Like, I don't, I just, I don't understand. I'm curious. Well, I mean, maybe even before before we answer, to just to kick that back. Yeah. How would like you tell me how you would describe your feeling high? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Um, may. But I mean, not not to put too much pressure on you, but like, uh-huh. you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like how we use terms in diagnosis to like clump all these symptoms together, right? Mm-hmm. But like we end up using all these terms, and high is one of those terms, or you know, commonly like deeper or dissociated, mm-hmm. or like you know, so there's all these terms that like mean things differently for different people, sure. and so this is, I mean, these are the conversations we have all the time, is trying to figure out where people are coming at with the terms yeah. that they're using, and it, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a something inside of psychedelic therapy there's a a massive distinction between the word medicine and drug Mm. i think there's a lot of different ways that people define it but i think as i talk to clients and i think a lot of a a lot of the staff that talk to clients is often drugs are a, a source of avoiding pain where we use the word medicine and what we mean by that is we actually want to confront pain we want to embrace it befriend it have a relationship with it and I think that that's the difference between a drug and a medicine Mm -hmm. and you know I think we do get questions about like um, ketamine can be abused people Mm -hmm. can have very unhealthy relationships with ketamine and it can do very awful things to their life I think the difference is how you use it the set the setting which we can kind of talk about more later on in this episode but there's a there's a very large and very important distinction between drug and medicine mm-hmm. um and medicines are meant to help and enhance a person's life where often drugs alcohol i think can be sources of life avoidance and which is like the antithesis of how we're utilizing ketamine itself and some of that uh, that's an excellent point is that even the experience of being like high it's just as much about your set and setting, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, how you're going into the situation, you know, the same similar feelings, not exactly the same feelings, if you're approaching that situation in a therapeutic mindset is much different than you're, if you're approaching that in a high mindset mm-hmm. or a recreational mindset. And so the set and setting there is very important. But And each of these chemicals has a little bit of a different thing. But if we're talking about ketamine, you know, the way we structure things is get getting to a, trying to get to a psychedelic experience, which is going to give you some of that dissociation, get you know rid of maybe some of your defenses and ego, um, but also 
you know, pairing that in a very therapeutic way that's not necessarily supposed to be just euphoric. At the same time, ketamine for the vast majority of people helps them feel better. So, you know, like even just when you're under the influence, but it's not like, you know, uh, somebody's on their couch on the weekend, tr you know, using a different route of administration that's going to have different characteristics mm -hmm. than what we do. Mm -hmm. I would say very, I, I was going to say very few, but I don't know if any of my clients have ever used the word high. Okay, that's what I was curious about. Floating, being in space, yeah. being in a different mindset, um, exploring different parts of their mind and their thoughts, but... I don't know that anyone has ever related that back to the word high. Mm -hmm. No, it's a great reflection because sometimes the question does come up before the sessions, but nobody uses that term after, after. the session. No, it's yeah. a really um, good point. Hmm. Yeah. I would mm -hmm. probably characterize it as like not necessarily an altered state of consciousness because that can, you know, there are various alcohol alters our state of consciousness, but it does it in a way where it shrinks the mind. You know, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of these experience, at least as they're described back to me uh, with clients I referred is it's an expanded state of consciousness, mm -hmm. you know, that that's kind of what made sense for them, where it's like you're still yourself. It's still your mind. It's still your body. It's just expanding to allow to create space for more to come in. Uh, but even like as your consciousness expands like there's that other side of it where it's like your head's getting larger and creating more space but you're also going deeper into yourself so you're not necessarily leaving things and escaping things it's it's they're powerful experiences you know that get you attuned to the things that you put so much conscious energy toward avoiding avoiding on a daily basis and it's like as you open up to examine those things it's like you're you, there's just not as much resistance because you are in such a euphoric state that feels good. Well, and I think one of the things that we spend a lot of time and energy on, like the relationship with the therapist, creating a relationship with the physician that they're working with, but then the physical space itself is has an abundance of time and energy to put in that it's a caring, safe environment so that when people are in that expansion they feel very comfortable to what we call letting go where you're in a lot of ways it's referring to letting go of those defenses that we spend so much time you using in everyday life and often we don't even necessarily know that we're always using them so is that what you were kind of starting to allude at with set and setting yes do you want to like kind of explain what that means um, setting refers to the actual physical setting of the medicine session experience, um, where set refers to the mindset going in. Um, so a lot of our preparation work is helping people have a mindset that they will be safe, that they mm -hmm. uh, create intentions about what they want to get out of a medicine session. Um, and when I say uh, intentions, like often in mental health, we have goals. Mm -hmm. We don't mean goals. Like goals can be, I want to be, you know, I want to have one panic attack a week instead of five. Where an intention is, I want to understand where that comes from. It's more abstract, more meaning-centered and kind of self-focused. Um, and then we kind of really work with that and help people to have a mindset of how would you explore that in an altered state while knowing that we can't predict what a, a psychedelic experience looks like. Mm. One of the hallmarks of psychedelics is that they are ineffable, meaning they can't be explained. Mm. Um, and helping people understand that like you go through this experience and when you come out, it's very natural to want to talk about it. And it's very natural that you won't have the words for it. Mm -hmm. And that I would argue a lot of the time I would encourage people to not try to yeah. explain it. Yeah. Be with that experience, mm -hmm. feel it. Sometimes going on walks uh, afterwards or journaling or being with friends and family, something that's like really life affirming mm -hmm. will help kind of start to over the course of time, days, weeks, um, create a new understanding of what that experience was like. But the words are going to fall very, very short of explaining it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, even to speak to that a little bit more to broaden that, some, some people might have heard this in the back of their mind and then, you know, their great therapist brings it up and they're like, oh, 
a genius. This is what I'm going to do, right? But also, some people have watched a lot of documentaries, mm -hmm. done a lot of reading. There's a lot of academic work being done around this. There's a lot of social work being done around this. And then you can kind of get focused in, like, even the chemicals, like well, ketamine or psilocybin or LSD or MDMA or, like, is this better than that? Or the route of administration, we get a lot of questions about that. You know, our, our intake team gets a lot of questions up from people that have a lot of acquired knowledge before they come into it. But, and some of that is just like, hey, you got to kind of back away from that. You can't even. Like, even with yeah. the way that we do things, with our set and setting, with ketamine, we can be very super specific about how we dose that during the session and the way that we're doing it. We know you're getting the exact same amount in a, the exact same room with the same playlist. You know, some of those factors where, they're, you know, where their set is coming into the session, they'll have a very different experience. Mm -hmm. You know, like totally. And like, you know, somebody who's done this three, four times, you know, same exact, would do everything the same the fifth time totally different experience is interesting because like in the um 60s when timothy leary really started doing his work and he was a lot more primarily focused in on using lsd he started down a path where he thought if you could dial in the physical setting the music the everything that you could actually influence what type of psychedelic experience you would have um and i don't know how long he worked on that but it was very much abandoned hmm because it, it, you can't predict nor can you impose what type of experience you will have. On that note though, um, I mean, I know that when you hear of people doing this recreationally, they'll talk about bad trips. Um, is there any fear of like a bad trip or what would happen if, I don't know, is that is that even a concern? Well, and I think a lot of the fears around bad trips are People are the general orientation towards psychedelics can fall into kind of two branches of like one, it's like I was told they were bad at a young age and they're bad. Mm. Nobody should ever do them. I've never touched them. I've never, you know, I would never ponder it. And then, you know, there can be a group of people who are like, yeah, I ate a handful of mushrooms one night at a party in college. Mm -hmm. And so I have a sense of what psychedelics are. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not what psychedelics are. That, that's taking a drug as Kyle was explaining earlier, whereas, you know, when it's administered as a medicine in a highly intentional manner where you're controlling the dosage and you're putting up all the parameters when it comes to set and setting, it's like that's why that takes place. That's why those things are so essential and critical is to prevent, you know, that from happening in a lot of ways and to create a space where, like, Kyle was saying, it's like you can't predict where that experience is going to take you and you shouldn't, you know, try to over manipulate it because one of the powerful effects of it is giving the individual an opportunity to kind of let go mm -hmm. of trying to control mm -hmm. and have a grip on every aspect of their life mm -hmm. and experience that, you know, when I do let go, not only is it okay, but a lot of beautiful things can happen. I think really well put in one thing I would add when people talk about bad trips or freaking out or some of those phrases for it that a couple of things come to mind which is one I think there's kind of a saying that there are no bad trips there are only um, challenging experiences mm -hmm. I think that some of the sessions that I've gotten to be a part of with my clients were extraordinarily challenging mm. where you know they're processing through really difficult things that have happened in their life and they were not euphoric they were not easy and what it what can be so beautiful about it is they got a different vantage point of mm. it in a safe environment with people that care about them and are there to support them and now you can start to have a little bit of a different relationship with that and a different kind of corrective emotional experience but I think in kind of popular culture, when people talk about bad trips or people jumping out of a window, like kind of some of those things with LSD, like I do think that there is immensely bad set and settings hmm. in which not that you can predict that something bad will happen, but the likelihood of something extraordinarily challenging or really difficult, like, you know, someone out at a party in college drinking too much and eating a handful of mushrooms, uh, there's a not insignificant chance that that's not going to go well. Or you're with unsafe people. Mm -hmm. You're in unfamiliar environments. Um, Someone's playing crappy music. I would agree with that. Right. So, but it, 
But yeah. if you think about that, like there, how many of those things that are been popularized or kind of propaganda that they're bad, if you dissected those experiences, I, um, I can't guarantee anything, but I wouldn't be surprised if they were in bad sudden settings. That makes sense. And just the purpose behind when you all are setting up the set and setting and, and working, I mean, just the amount of purpose that goes behind it, it sounds like that is really to help you get to, mm-hmm. yeah. These rooms are beautiful. Like the first time I, cause I knew this was kicking for a while, you know, and I had had, had clients that had gone there, but I, had, I hadn't actually visited the space yet. But when I walked into that, especially when I, like when I stepped foot into a treatment room, I like, I just started crying. Like I was overwhelmed with emotion. And it was like the energy of that room was unlike anything I'd ever felt before. It's like I, like I could feel all the healing that goes on in there. And they're beautiful spaces. It's like, it's, it's like old world and nature, you know, kind of combined. I love the setup of how it's like you're laying down in a very comfortable position. Um, and you have headphones on, which allows your therapist to communicate to you through a microphone um, if necessary. You know, but I would speak more to the role that music plays, because I think this is one of the most interesting and powerful aspects of, of your protocol. I often tell clients that one of, even more than the therapist at times, the most important thing in the room the day of a medicine session is the music, hmm. and we put a an enormous amount of time into finding songs, putting them in the perfect order and honestly kind of nerdily obsessing about it. But it's, it's the soundtrack to which your experience plays. Um, Sometimes the therapist, like as a therapist, sometimes we're communicating a lot with clients, but I would say a much larger percentage of the time we're there to hold space and be a kind of a container kind of historian for the experience. Mm -hmm. But the music is what's, playing and is the soundtrack to what they're experiencing. How long is a medicine session typically? 90 minutes to two hours. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that speaks to kind of what we have set up with ketamine right now too, is that, you know, one you're with, you got a, a great music kind of boundaries that's kind of guiding you every second, right? You're having that experience paired with you, right? But then you've got a therapist who's like sitting with you the mm-hmm. whole time, done this hundreds of times, you know, like, so they're with you if you have an intense experience. Ketamine itself is a very forgiving, positive medication. Bad trips are highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. And then the experience is really contained. You know, it's a powerful experience, but it is, you know, two hours, 90 minutes, two hours, right? You know, it's not a day long journey, mm-hmm. eight hours, you know, so um, that's a nice, nice part to it too. How do you choose the music? Um, Does the client choose? No, okay. not typically. Um, I wouldn't say that there are hard and fast rules to music outside of, um, I guess, some kind of guidelines around very rarely, if ever, are there words. Mm. Um, longer songs. Uh, I'm imagining a movie score. A movie score is not, that's a great way to look at it. It The the music and the organization of the playlist follows the effect curve of ketamine. Mm. Um, but rarely, yeah, like I said, almost no words. Um, in a lot of ways, it's preferable if the client has never heard the music before. Um, I think especially for people who like music, you may have an association with something. That makes sense. But again, with kind of that expansion of the mindset, all of that, you want it to be something that is a part of that experience, Mm -hmm. not something you have a prior association to. I think that's what I would say about that. And it's almost like its own genre of music. You know, like when you listen to it, you can can feel how like the intensity will shift, you know, and you can feel how it won't necessarily you know, like dictate where you go in your emotional state uh, and your, you know, var- varying degrees of arousal. Uh, but it, it is definitely like a like a parameter that, that it sets there. And mm-hmm. so, like, as you engineer it, you know, to kind of follow the curve, it almost, it, like, it almost brings structure to an unpredictable experience, you know, or at least there's something with you that's giving you a reference of, it's like I'm feeling more, but also there's more intensity to the music. Um, and it's, 
I can totally understand and appreciate how y'all get lost in playlists for hours. And I also think that's beautiful. You know, like when, when I learned how much thought your providers put into the playlist, like that was just one more mm -hmm. absolutely beautiful aspect of this entire process. It's like the, the providers at Intero, it's like, my gosh, <laughs> that is what they were born and bred mm -hmm. to do. You know, like it's a different degree of calling that I sense from those people. Going off of that, how do you become a psychedelic therapist? Like what, what are, what qualifications or like trainings might you need to go to go through or would want to go through? Um, it kind of ends up being a very broad question. So, um, at Intero, we have, uh, we only have fully licensed, independently licensed therapists conduct medicine sessions. Um, so that's kind of like a very core that has to be there as a foundation. Um, there's a lot of different ketamine assisted psychotherapy, um, trainings. We're in process of creating one now, um, MDMA assisted psychotherapy, you have to go through maps at the moment. Um, there's a lot of national places like uh, CIS or IPI that are, there's more and more psychedelic assisted psychotherapy trainings. Mm. Um, and I think as the, the field is kind of new and expanding and kind of finding its footing, there's numerous of them, but there are some very core ones, like the MAPS one for MDMA, that has to be done through them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as more medicines come out, there will be more specific trainings for that. And then at Intero, um, we do what's called a cohort model, where we take uh, two to four people and we have a cohort. And so inside of that cohort, we spend probably three to four months with them where they take three clients on and walk them through um, that four-phase process that we discussed a little bit earlier under supervision and a lot of group consult and individual consult to become really familiar with what that process looks like. Um, so there isn't necessarily you have to do this to get to be a ketamine-assisted mm -hmm. psychotherapy provider. Um, but you would w absolutely want some kind of fundamental trainings to understand the medication, what it does, mm -hmm. and have some sort of advanced theoretical framework mm -hmm. to help clients contain a psychedelic session. I think that's an important point because this whole thing is kind of, can be a little bit intimidating, right? Um, and I suppose like you could if this was just a passion of yours and like didn't have a framework to it like we have it in Tarot, you can pretty quickly like end up kind of in the wild west mm -hmm. somewhere paired at an infusion clinic where now they're like telling you to like do therapy or something else or you're just kind of being a guide somewhere. Whereas in like in Tarot, like what we have set up is really to be supportive. So if it's like an interest or a passion of yours or something that you want to develop, them being in a place where you can be in a cohort, where you have consultation, where this is something that's happening all the time, where you can really develop your expertise. That's what it's about. It's really about the drive and interest to develop an expertise in this and the, the openness to kind of finding that in yourself too. So what is the medical provider's role in the psychedelic therapy experience? I mean, I, there's a spectrum of that too. What we have set up in Intero, I mean, the first part, the first kind of the foundation is like safety. Like that's that's the number one goal is to make sure that this is a safe experience. Um, but then you know, kind of broader speaking is um, you know, in tarot basically, you know, we have an evaluation to make sure that you know medically it's going to be safe. That you know, and as a psychiatrist, you know, psychiatrically that I feel like it's going to be safe. Um, and then you know, kind of prep the experience and be there, you know, to kind of guide that mm -hmm. the medical aspect of things. You know. Because technically, I guess I don't know the answer to this, but like, are you prescribing the ketamine then? Is that kind of how that works or? Well, like so administering it. So it's all yeah. within our facility. So right. there's not a, so the way that we have it set up, we don't have like an external pharmacy mm -hmm. set up, but you know, yeah, exactly. I mean, but like, people can't just buy ketamine and then bring it to their therapist's office and be like, let's do this. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I think one other thing to add on the medical provider side that I think is really wonderful at Intero is we have a weekly clinical consult that um, both our uh, 
Dr. G and Liz Braun as our provider are actively involved in that. So there's a really nice uh, team-based approach between, there isn't a divide between psychotherapist and medical provider. Um, it's a very integrated model that we're discussing cases, talking about approaches, what's safe, what isn't. And I, I think Dr. J brings up a really good point. Um, in, I would say in a lot of ways, Intero is risk averse and that safety is at the highest priority of ever, at every step of the way. Um, we've had times where people have gone through the assessment, medical evaluation, preparation and got to like the day of the medicine session mm -hmm. and it's not the right time mm -hmm. and so we'll stop and so I think safety can't be overstated mm -hmm. are there you know you mentioned like the medical evaluation are there certain um I don't know like certain like things that might come up in that evaluation that might be like I don't think you're a good fit for for psychedelic assisted therapy yeah i mean good good question i mean every situation is a little bit unique right and so i you know you don't want to be prescriptive or have people like rule it out in their mind i think having a discussion with mm. the tarot or your provider is important but you know just generally psychedelics in general you know um things that you would be really mindful of is like a history of psychosis or oh, schizophrenia sure. or most of the time like bipolar disorder or with a history of mania, right? Um, those kinds of things are like, okay, we need to be very particular, most commonly not a great fit. Um, you know, medically, that tends to lend a little bit more to the individual chemical. So with ketamine, you know, it's really cardiovascular mm -hmm. stuff. So higher blood pressure, history of heart attacks, that kind of stuff, or anything that would be a risk there. But otherwise, it's a pretty forgiving chemical. So you know, it's on an individual basis. But those are those are kind of the, the big things. What about if you have a history of addiction? Yeah. Is so there that's, concern? So, I mean, that's a good point that comes up, right, too, and we've talked a little bit about kind of the where people enter in with these chemicals, right? I mean, so you don't want, you know, you don't want this to kind of lead down that path or activate anything. At the same time, actually, to be quite frank, there's, you know, probably the next – besides what we talked about is PTSD, anxiety, and depression, probably the next best evidence base is using ketamine in substance use mm. and, and reducing that. Um, so that's a fine line that we talk. It's not a direct contraindication. At the same time, somebody who's actively using for a number of reasons probably isn't going to get the same experience mm. out of it, and so we want to work with them to get to a place where, like, ketamine is the right time for them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So that could potentially get become pretty mainstream in uh, treatment centers, you know, where they have control over sure. the fact that they're not using and that mm. they're getting their systems re-regulated. And I think going back to that notion of drugs versus medicine, I could see how that could be a pretty powerful corrective experience, you know, for people to take what they, you know, formerly only knew to be a drug, but have a medicinal experience with it. Um, because that's like another misconception too, you know, more uh, products of propaganda is, you know, like if you if you do psilocybin, you're going to get addicted to it, mm -hmm. you know. But when you properly do psilocybin, it's not left with uh, like urge to keep doing it more and more and more. It's like these experiences are so powerful that it's like you almost don't have the psychological energy to even consider like stepping right back into mm -hmm. that again. And so, like, even, there's, like, this organic sense of, like, integration, you know, regardless of um, or w when people have these initial experiences. And, yeah, it can start to reorient them of how they start looking at things such as psychedelics. What are some other common misconceptions that you guys see about psychedelic therapy? I think the biggest one we referenced a little bit earlier about it, like, the kind of cure-all thing. Mm. And I think that's in large part due to how much press documentaries all of that stuff that's coming out um i think there's a misconception that each time you do psychedelics you have these like breakthrough hmm. aha like large epiphany moments and not that that doesn't happen but i think the way that it's kind of portrayed in movies or some of the things in popular media that's it's not as common as i think it's portrayed um, trying to think of what else. You're not gonna s find your or see your 
dead daughter like in that one weird movie uh, nine perfect strangers yeah, yeah yeah i don't know if you yeah, ever saw that, that. that was it was weird probably not the best press for uh psychedelics it was not um, especially the uh absence of consent you know, and properly prepping people for what they're about to experience. No yeah, um, that was a little difficult to digest in that regard. But it, I think, like, the there's a lot. I think one of the things, if you go back in psychedelics history, for, like, we know that all human civilization throughout time that had access to psychedelics have utilized them. Ancient Greece, hmm. uh, there's a lot of indigenous cultures that that is... A, a significant part of their culture. Um, I, I think that a lot of the studies that were happening in the 1950s and 60s were overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. Um, I think following that, the war on drugs, the Controlled Substances Act, I think in 1971, what happened is a lot of, I guess, what I would consider intentional negative propaganda about bad trips, that it stays in mm. your spine and you have flashbacks and things like that. Um, not true. I think there's a lot, I would go as far to say a lot of intentional negative myths that exist about them. Mm. Um, and I think that kind of what we're seeing now over the last five to 10 years is a re-examining of them with people doing actual research into them and saying, this is what it can do mm -hmm. and having a more honest view of them. And with that, you know, I mean, a misconception of like kind of us versus them kind of thing or whatever you want to say, or like this, that's not for me, right? That kind mm -hmm. of feeling like that's for some other kind of person, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely not that way, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for most people who even think that, if you just like had a where they got went in and met the last ten people that came through Ontario, they'd be like, "Oh, mm -hmm. these are like all the same people, right?" Like these mm -hmm. are not like what you have in your mind of like, mm -hmm. you know, from these, you know, kind of this negative propaganda. Sure. You know. So Ontario is based in Minnesota, um, but. If I were to live outside of Minnesota, how would I, how would I go about finding a clinic that, like, how do you vet clinics? How do you kind of vet, you know, like they're doing it safely, they're doing it well. I mean, that seems like it would be pretty high stakes. <laughs> it could be hard. I would encourage people to look for ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And um, I'm, I'm not saying to avoid infusion clinics. I do think that there are very appropriate uses for that at times. Um, I think that, I think if people are wanting the type of experience that, that we've described today, there are some great places out there, but I would look for ketamine assisted psychotherapy mm -hmm. and they will follow or pretty closely resembling that same four phase model. Um, I think that would probably be my best advice. And I, I think the other part is whenever you're working with a new provider to just trust your instinct. Like, do you trust this person? Can you be open mm -hmm. with them? Can you feel vulnerable and still be safe? Um, which I think is, is true for working with any type of provider, medical, psychotherapist, all of that. Um, but the phrase ketamine-assisted psychotherapy tends to allude to kind of this bigger model that is a longer thing than just going into a room and receiving ketamine through an infusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think exactly. Like really finding a model that makes sense someplace that this is kind of what they do and have tried to develop some excellence around that, right? Um, you know, and then the other red flags are, you know, places that, you know, things that seem too good to be true. And the spectrum of, you know, in this field is very broad, right? And so if it's too good to be true, it probably is, right? Like if you can, you know, have the most life-changing experience you've ever experienced and fix everything in your life from the comfort of your couch because we're going to mail you a box of something probably maybe something not the best and you won't be supported through right is um, that a thing that's the thing that's the thing um you know or you know a place that maybe alludes to because we see this pretty commonly too because there are a lot of benefits here but not everybody gets the same benefit somebody who's asserting too much out of mm. something right like this will be a cure or like this will fix one of 20 things and just come here and we'll fix it for you. Mm -hmm. right? Like that's, 
you know, mental health is more than that. We all mm -hmm. know that. So if you see that kind of stuff, they probably don't understand mental health in the way that they need to. Well, and I like the way that you both have have spoken about how it, it's a tool it's not necessarily just like a one like one-stop shop this is a tool that goes along with the other tools that you have as a mental health clinician yeah so if you get a sense that they're approaching it from this way if it's a deeper experience meant to guide and we're pairing with you that kind of mentality as opposed to like falling into the same medical modality of this is going to treat your symptom or you know we can do something magical mm -hmm. you'd be in a better place mm-hmm so what are some, uh, what are the next steps as far as like innovation and continuing to grow this practice? Because um, I know within Intero, we have a lot of conversations along those lines of we're not just implementing this as it comes out, but we're actively invested in playing a part in expanding this practice because it's, it's largely uncharted territory. You know, there's not, there's huge opportunities here for people to get in on the foundation of the peer-reviewed literature of having say in the protocols that get developed as we apply this to different client demographics, you know, such as uh, relational and systemic approaches uh, to psychedelic assisted mm -hmm. therapies. So what would you two say is kind of at the top of your priority list? Um, I think two that come to mind very quickly is expanding just out of the individual realm, um, just an individual medicine session in um, actively working on adding more groups where people have a shared experience of uh, a traumatic event or mm -hmm. religious trauma, spiritual abuse, um, survivors, things like that. So I think as we go into our new clinic in early April, um, having a lot more energy being focused on running groups on a consistent basis where people have a shared experience. Um, one of our clinicians, Kyle Minnis, has been actively working on a protocol to do couples work. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it, that I'm amazingly excited about, Kyle's. Oh. Nice. We just had Minnis in here talking family systems. Yeah, that episode will be coming out in two weeks. Yeah, like a amazing clinician, like couples, families, like that is where his heart lies. And I think being able to pair that with psychedelics, I'm which is kind also of, where his heart lies. Yeah, like over the moon about like, I, I think it's merging two of his worlds into yeah. one and like kind of putting some protocols around that and um, being able to work with that. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure there's gonna, where we'll go with it, but I would love if there was more research around ketamine assisted psychotherapy. There's research and kind of evidence that ketamine works for treatment resistant depression, but that is kind of from, again, that infusion model. So um, finding ways that we can be part of the research for CAP in specific, mm. um, because there's very little out there um, from an academic perspective. Oh, I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, this is the fun part too. I mean, even going in, you know, I mean, our new clinic opening in April, right, which will have four treatment rooms expandable to six, a group room that's dedicated to 12 therapy offices, right? So just having a group like that that can have a, a container, a, a place of excellence where we can really develop some of these new places in, you know, in the best way possible or these new kind of protocols, you know, so to speak, um, you know, is exciting to hit all of these realms and see what's, what's you know, what we can do, you know, with what we know. Uh, at the same time, just kind of getting it to the masses and this is not a magic bullet it's not for everybody but at the same time is you know we need to kind of see how we can get that to more clients in a way that we can you know is meets them where they need to be and can open it up uh, to their understanding but also practically speaking with payers and all this stuff mm -hmm. and to therapists to quite honestly to break down some of those barriers so it's not that intimidating that this can be a mix of your practice or if this is a passion that is you know yours that like you know this is a place where you can grow that too because at least right now it's not something you're going to get in training so how do you build that too and how can we be a part of that absolutely um you just mentioned payers how does how does this work with insurance do you self-pay do you is any of this covered by insurance does that vary state to state Lots of questions. I just threw you. No, oh, I mean, I think then that gets into a lot of details. The easiest mm -hmm. way is just to start on what we have at Intero, right, mm -hmm. which is, you know, basically all this, the psychotherapy is psychotherapy, and it's the same work you're doing anywhere else. And so we bill that as psychotherapy. So whatever your insurance is covered for psychotherapy, that's covered. Okay. So the 
pre-sessions, the integration sessions, the psychotherapeutic part of the medicine sessions, mm -hmm. and then the medicine session, the actual medicine and the medical evaluation, all the, like the monitoring and all that stuff is cash pay. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what we have set up. That's helpful to know. So it's a mix. Mm-hmm. And like as new meta medicines come out, like MDMA will very likely, if not almost kind of guaranteed, will be insurance reimbursable because of how MAPS has gone through the the FDA approval process that will likely be built in through payers, which oh, that's gonna you know, I think while that's becoming available, that's part of why it's taking so long. Mm. Um They've done a lot of wonderful research, I think, dating back to the 80s, like, and Rick Doblin and his group have done truly amazing work and have been kind of lifelong dedicated to mm -hmm. bringing MDMA into the psychotherapy world. Um, and because of that work, it will very likely be a reimbursed, uh, an insurance reimbursed service. Oh, wow. That's great. It doesn't necessarily make it better. Really? You know? well, what do you like mean? As, well, yeah. as, you know, like as with TMS. I mean, TMS is covered by insurance, mm -hmm. right? Um, but it's a real pain. And it's only then the insurance company gets the power to define who they think deserves oh, okay. this treatment, right? Mm -hmm. And so then you've got, then your kind of practice is tailored maybe not towards the evidence, but to what the insurance company. So it's a different avenue and it will sure. help and it, it gives you more access to a certain population. But mm. we also, it's not going to be the only thing. And I think that gets to a, maybe a little bit in this field of like, there's a lot of sense of like, you kind of get into the details of it and then you kind of think you know where you want to go and then there's maybe like a waiting game yeah. or like, you know, even <laughs> like psilocybin is going to be, or is legal in a few states, a few more over the course of the year. Um, but in the context, maybe that isn't particularly useful and in a framework that isn't maybe quite where you need it to be. And so I think an important, what I'm trying to say is if psychedelic work fits where you need to be or what might be helpful for you right now, you know, accessing that now seems reasonable. I don't, you, you don't want to get caught up in like, well, when MDMA becomes sure. available, maybe that'll work. Well, mm. but maybe you're like cutting yourself or like closing yourself off mm -hmm. to what is available right now, mm -hmm. right? Well, and it, I also think that speaks to there's a burgeoning field of psychedelic medicine that there are some questions that are answered and there is an awful lot more that aren't like and how that fits into the structures inside of mental health medical all of that that like there's a lot to be figured out that is not i you know i think there's a lot of people advocating uh, you know like i think dr g mentioned i think for the population that you know with uh, severe ptsd mdma being covered by insurance is wonderful but does that limit then other people that you know self-exploration or kind of self-love or self-acceptance that may limit mm -hmm. that population mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily answered yet that makes sense any other last thoughts before we kind of wrap up i would just like to thank my boss for being here uh <laughs> you're the best guest we've ever had you're incredible this was stunning Thank you. Oh, see what ask comes after. after <laughs> yeah. the, I was like, after man, the, best guest the, ever. Was, you know, but I mean, I, I mean, my only other comment would be like, you know, this is you know, kind of in a chill studio. This is a sweet space, right? Um, it's a podcast, so you're very calming, and mm -hmm. right. I mean, and I even get into this with clients too, right? Especially in the psychedelic space, like you want this really cal you know, calming experience. But at the same time, like I don't want to undermine anybody who's listening. Like this is exciting. Like this is <laughs> yeah. awesome. Like yeah. this is life changing, mm -hmm. world breaking kind of stuff that we're doing here. It's exciting to be a part of it. We're excited to share it. I hope that more people get interested in it. And uh, you know, it's just fascinating and wonderful and beautiful all at the same time. It's great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you both for joining us and talking more about ketamine assisted psychotherapy. And I feel like we'll have to have you back as more, I don't know, as like MDA, MDMA gets approved or like as there's more changes within yeah. this field, I think we'll have to have you back to talk more about those yeah, different things. Plenty of innovations ahead. Absolutely. Would love that. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. The Therapist Thrival Guide is one of many creative productions from Ellie Mental Health. 
Ellie is an outpatient mental health clinic that began in St. Paul, Minnesota, and has continued to expand to over 20 clinics in Minnesota and a growing number of franchisees across the country. We'll be opening over 500 locations in communities nationwide in the near future. Thanks for listening to The Therapist Thrival Guide, a podcast produced by Ellie Mental Health. Please be sure to subscribe and review this podcast on your favorite platform. I'm Miranda Barker, executive producer. Jesse Stenbroten is the technical director. And Julia Galloway is our incredible audio engineer. Our production team also includes Lucas Mooney and Tu Fam. Special thanks to our incredible guests that join each week. And we'll see you next week.